0: The other day, I was driving somewhere, and I turned on the radio and caught a snippet of a conversation, and I can't tell you who was having the conversation, uh, but there was an expert talking about uh, how the outward form of nation-states in the Middle East in particular might last a while, but that the reality on the ground will be more tribal or religious, coalition, sometimes peaceful, sometimes aggressive, and so on. He was... Pre- he was predicting a kind of return to a pattern of life before the West imposed borders and installed rulers and essentially created nations. Now, I only heard a snippet, but he was most insistent that while we're witnessing a period of radical change in arrangements of how the world is governed and how faulty assumptions or failure to recognize that change is underway are going to get Western powers in particular into real trouble. It seemed to me that Thomas Friedman had an article in this morning's paper that was going somewhat similar directions. Change of any kind is complicated and it's not generally something that's welcome even if we think it is. There's always a measure of loss involved in change, at least for someone. Loss of familiarity, perhaps or loss of power, loss of security, or loss of a beloved person. So whether it's change in our world or change in our personal circumstance, it can often bring a measure of grief. Of course, change is easier when we initiate it for some purpose than when it's done to us. It's easier to be a person who leaves the situation very often than a person who stays. It's easier to be someone who governs change than someone who is negatively affected by it even if the change in circumstance turns out to be a blessing in disguise. Change in the world or change in our personal circumstance can be really tough and will usually be something we resist at some level, even if we are not conscious of our resistance. But there is no change that is harder than a change of heart or a change of mind. My friend Ed Bacon, known to some of you, has written a book called Eight Habits of Love. Ed is currently the rector of All Saints Pasadena, or All Saints West, as I like to tell him. And he gets at this business of the change of heart by encouraging the development of a habit that he calls the habit of truth. It's essentially about listening to our own hearts toward truth and being willing and prepared to take action even when we know that the path we are following is not one that people who care for us might choose for us. Ed encourages actions that are not based in fear, but are rather based in love and getting that sorted out, even when the path will lead to conflict. And when we follow the truth, he thinks it often will lead to conflict. Tells the story of his own decision to leave law school and seek priesthood in a tradition very different from the Southern Baptist upbringing he had in South Georgia. He tells of the challenges that decision led him to for for his, with, in relation with his family and with his fiancée, now wife, and with his friends. In another example of finding truth and acting on it, he at some point became aware that he was being led to a commitment to pacifism. And as a fairly young man embraced that commitment that he holds to this day. And he tells the story of interviewing at St. Luke's Church over here, on Peachtree Street when Dan Matthews Sr., the father of the current rector, was the rector. And he was interviewing with a committee and he was really anxious about whether or not to share his pacifism with a group that he imagined would not be terribly friendly to that position. And um, he did in the end share it thinking, oh my God, I've just shot myself in the foot or something of that sort. and and the committee said, no, it'll be good to have someone uh, in our mix who has thought so deeply about these issues. Talks about how challenging it can be to see through difference, to seeing the fundamental humanity of others. Some have stories of how challenging it has been, some here have stories of how challenging it's been to accept ourselves for who we are. Ed recognizes that no change of heart can be completely free of anxiety or fear. He writes, Sometimes we may have to temporarily cut off relations with others in order to establish a healthier foundation for resuming that connection later. This can be a way of affirming that you are in fact open to the possibility of a love-based relationship in the future, but to do so, you must turn away from the old destructive narrative for a while. Sometimes... When we follow truth, relationships will be so threatened they will be broken for a while. It's this kind of change, this kind of change of heart, this kind of change of mind, this practice of truth that Jesus is addressing with the temple authorities in our reading from Matthew. So after some theological argument about authority and by whose authority Jesus was doing things like casting out money changes from the temple and healing on the Sabbath – He tells the chief priests and the elders of the people, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, he wasn't just being gratuitously rude. Rather, he is comparing the relatively secure and powerful people of Israel with the poor and therefore those, he believes, most willing to change, to turn toward what really matters, to repent, to begin anew. It's all the same word, this change of mind or change of heart. The son, in the parable he tells, who defied his father and declined to go in the work in the vineyard, later changed his mind, turned his life, and he went to work in the vineyard. He was the one that was closer to the truth of his life. And the claim that was made on it by his father in contrast to the attitude of his brother. His brother didn't change his mind. doesn't really matter whether he just got busy or whether he meant to never got around to it, whether there was malice involved or not. But in any event, he did not do what he said he would do. And we're back to the old truism that we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. And Jesus is saying intentions are not unimportant, but in the end, it's our actions that matter. And it's our actions by which we tend to be judged every day by those around us. There are a number of clues for us in this story of Jesus' conflict with the temple authorities. And let's start by noticing that Jesus' proclamation of truth leads to conflict. This conflict with temple authorities clues about when we might need to change our minds, when we are being challenged for a change in heart, clues we might need to practice truth-seeking and seek relationships that are grounded in love, setting aside our fear. And the first clue is found in this question of authority. If we find ourselves feeling threatened in some way and start attacking the process by which change has come about, going after the people who are changing things that we don't like, going to attack the process when change is underway, then we might need to examine our hearts and our minds, and we might need to open ourselves to the possibility that we're being led to a change of heart. The authority of God will usually be self-authenticating even when it seems in conflict with the powers that be, and changing our minds can feel very threatening especially if you're a first child or a rule follower by instinct and intuition. Very tricky stuff. Many of you have done that kind of spiritual work in coming to terms with your own acceptance of your friends, the full humanity of your gay and lesbian friends. Some of you have had to do that work in coming to acceptance of yourselves. If we feel threatened by some novelty in our lives, then we might just might need to change our minds. A second clue in this story is when we hear the elders of the people and the chief priests kind of rationalizing, calculating how they're going to respond to Jesus. They're not really responding to Jesus They're calculating, well, if we say this, he's going to say this, and if we say that, then the crowd's going to say that. So uh, what can we say? What can we say? I don't know. We'll just say, I don't know. If we find ourselves calculating a response to another, we've probably already sort of missed the relationship. It's, it's uh, It's like we're putting spin on a conversation rather than actually having the conversation. And when that happens, and it does happen, then perhaps that's a clue that we might need to do some truth-seeking and we might need to repent and we might need to change our hearts or change our minds. And the third clue, the third clue is about rationalization. And I imagine that first son in the parable who says he's not going to go into the vineyard. And I imagine him kind of chewing on that not quite feeling right about it, probably waking up really early and not being able to go back to sleep or, or having one of those 2 a.m. conversations with God. We're going, I said I'm not going to go. I don't want to go. I'm not going to go. I don't want to go to the vineyard. don't have to go to the vineyard. And yet slowly finding, oh, God, I better go to the vineyard. you know. And, and he goes to the vineyard and it, his, it is his... Um, his coming to terms, his changing his mind that is praised by Jesus. Now, these are not everyday situations for most of us, but they happen sooner or later to all of us, and we're almost always called to change our mind in relation to some person, some relationship. It's rarely about philosophies or ideas. They follow our intuitions and our truths, and they tend to justify and build on what we've understood as truth. But usually, when we're called to repentance or change, it is in and out of relationship. We're called to move from fear to love somehow. Jesus is clear. It is the capacity to turn again toward what really matters, to change our mind that is the way of truth and the way to the kingdom of God. In our silence, try asking grace that when you see the need, that you might need to change your mind, that you'll be able to overcome your fear, trust God's grace for life, and discover anew the deeper truth to which you are being led, whatever that is. This is not relativism. This is not wishy-washy. This is not flip-flop. This is about being drawn into ever-new creative possibilities, By the Spirit of God. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.